Brother Enrique, I have good news for you. The church was one foundation. We'll never be shaken. <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> we can worship without a roof. We can worship without uh, a sidewalk. We, are, we, we will always be built on that one foundation, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. <clears throat> well, I want to wish you all a happy, and that's in quotes, because we don't know uh, how that happiness is going to work out. It will, because each day is a day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, happy, but more a Christ-filled New Year. You know, as I was meditating on, on that and the New Year, I thought of God and I thought, you know what, God doesn't have a New Year. God, you know, there is no such thing as a New Year for God. God is outside of time. Time does not affect God as it does us. His plans and His purposes are, are carrying on the way that, that He purposed from the beginning. It's us as human beings that uh, look at time and then especially at 2020 and go, glad that's in the past. <laughs> uh, so when we say Happy New Year, we're extending a form of a blessing and hoping that for you, 2021 will be different and better than 2020 was. 2020 seems hard to beat, though, for its excitement, <clears throat> if you call that excitement, for its disasters, for the hardships uh, that, have, uh, that have come. I know for myself, I spent way more time in a hospital than I have for pretty much all the rest of my life, uh, as well as being sick for longer than that. So uh, hopefully that's in the past and we are moving into a new uh, year in 2021. However, there is one thing from 2020 that I will remember, and I will remember with great joy and celebration, and that is the mentoring ministry and our study together of the Book of Romans. In my 36 years as a senior pastor and the years before that in other forms of ministry, I have never experienced anything like this year in terms of this mentoring ministry. It has been truly a blessing. I appreciate the labors of love that have gone into the training and, and the organizing that Danielle has put into it. And I appreciate the, the assistance of those who wrote the daily devotions uh, that assisted me in that. It was Amy and Antonetta. We had Danielle and Enrique and Jimmy and Julius and Nico and Nick and Sean and Young Guo, all who contributed at different times uh, throughout the year to the writing of those devotions. And, and then there are the under-shepherds and the mentors who have faithfully uh, carried out their ministry and will continue to do that in this new year. But you know, even as we think about that and, and consider those tremendous blessings that it has been, wouldn't it be a waste if in 2021 we moved on and we 
which for God, all of that in-depth and personal study and learning that we did in 2020 from the book of Romans. As we looked at what Romans 1 through 11 had to say to us, our hearts were stirred with a passion for the glory of God, for the wonder of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, for the power of the gospel that was able to, to bring salvation to all who would believe. Tremendous truth. And, and I have to wonder if that's not, in a sense, what was going through Paul's mind as he switched over from Romans 1.11 and this, this in-depth theological study and moved into these practical chapters that he does in chapter 12 uh, through chapter 16. Will the people that I'm writing to in Rome, will they remember the theology? Will they remember the doctrine? Will they, will they see that as foundational for how they live their life? And I think that may be why he began chapter 12 by calling believers to present themselves as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing unto God. And to do so with a mind that's transformed. A mind that, that, that renews the whole of their being as they meditate upon tremendous truths that God has given to us in the scriptures, in Jesus Christ, and that Paul had talked about. Transform minds and wills to live out the gospel. And so the rest of chapter 12 and then on into the chapters that will follow, the rest of this chapter is telling us what it means to be a sacrifice, to present ourselves as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God. So let me share with you in one overview sentence what Romans chapter 12 is all about. And, it, and I'm walking us through, in a sense, the sections of the preaching that we've done, Romans 1 and 2, Romans 3 through 6, Romans 9 to 16, which we're covering today, and then Romans 17 to the end of the chapter. All right? So this sentence encapsulates all of that. Romans 12, in one overview sentence, God's mercies in Christ Jesus mean that members do ministry as mission through merciful loving of the church family and merciful mission to the world. That's what, what Paul is telling us in this, this 12th chapter. Out of the mercies of God, Right? Out of those mercies that, that cause us to, to give ourselves as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God, a reasonable service or a reasonable act of, of worship, spiritual worship, living that out in three ways. Living it out as members do, do uh, ministry through mission, which we looked at last week. 
And then through merciful loving of the church, which is what we're looking at this week, and then the merciful reaching out to the world, caring for the world, doing mission in the world for the glory of God. And so let's look today at verses 9 to 16. And we will examine the merciful love that flows out of God's mercy in us, flows out to the church family and see what that looks like today. Meditate on this theme as we look through this chapter, that God's mercies in Christ mean merciful loving through sacrificial living. All right? God's mercies right, that we've received, that's verses 1, the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God, you present your life as a living sacrifice. Right? So God's mercies in Christ means merciful, because of God's mercies, we become merciful, merciful loving through sacrificial living. And that's what summarizes verses 9 through 16 that uh, was read this morning. Now in our text, Paul is not just throwing a bunch of commands at us. It might look like that because there's, in, especially in the English translation, there's just this command after command after command after command. And it might look like he's just tossing out a bunch of commands and saying, here, go out and live your Christian life this way. Sometimes I wish our Bibles didn't have so many chapters and paragraph breaks and these headings that we have over top of it. You know, the English Standard Version, which we, we read here, it has this large break. If you have your Bibles and you're looking at it, you see this large break between verse 8 and verse 9. And then there's this, this heading, this bolded heading that's there that reads, Marks of the True Christian. Well, that's a nice summary, I guess, of these verses that follow. But it sets this text off from what comes before it. But when Paul wrote this, he didn't write it with that break in there. He wanted you to, to, to go directly from seeing mercy or seeing um, members serving in, in ministry as a mission. He, what we looked at last week, he wants you to see that flow right into these verses. How do you do that? How do, you, how do you live out this ministry to the body of Christ through the giftedness that God has given to you? How do you live that out? How, how does it become apparent in the way that you interact within the body of Christ, within the church? And that's what he is talking about here. So he intended us to see members doing ministry and mission by living out the gospel this week. And so... Notice then first the genuine passion of this sacrificial living that he's calling us to. Okay? Um, sacrificial loving, I'm sorry. Uh, on your outline, uh, if you've got an outline, I think it says living, and it should say uh, loving. The genuine passion of sacrificial loving. So make, make that change if. Uh, it's not on your sheets. Nick 
and Cynthia Amato just had a baby, right? Kind of exciting, isn't it? A, a new baby is born, and everybody's all excited. It's like, whoa, isn't this so cute? And two or three days later, it's like, oh, I'm not getting any sleep. Oh, this kid is keeping me awake, right? <laughs> Middle of the night. <laughs> Uh, and the uh, joys of the new birth are forgotten in all that crying. It's gone in a moment, out the window. Well, you know what? The same thing happens to us as Christians, right? Someone comes to know the truth of the gospel, and, and they, they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and they're they're excited, and we're excited. Jesus is alive in them. Isn't that wonderful? And then they run into all the problems that a baby Christian runs into, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, do I have to answer the phone again? Those of you who are under-shepherds and those of you who are mentors, you've faced some of that over this past year. You, you, you know what it is, the excitement at the beginning of the year when we started this uh, mentoring ministry, and then it hasn't always gone quite so smoothly as, as we like. And so the under-shepherds and the mentors, and even those of you who are the mentees, the, the disciples who are, are, are growing, we need to go back to verse 1 and consider that again as a foundation for what we're going to be talking about. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, the foundation of the Christian living and Christian mentoring always begins at the cross and the mercies of God. Without the cross and the, the life of the cross in you, you're not going to love the way that we are called to love in this passage. So notice how sacrificial living presupposes the possession of Christ. In other words, you, you're, you're, you're living out the love that we're called to do in this passage can only happen if Christ is in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is your reality, only then will you be able to love the way that we're called to love. No one can love in the Christian life apart from a transformed life in Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that non-Christians can't be loving. And I'm not saying that they can't be kind and that they can't be uh, nice individuals. They certainly can. But without Christ, you cannot fulfill the opening line of verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Let your love 
be genuine. The Greek term here for love might be familiar to many of you. You know there's several different Greek words uh, that uh, are often translated as love. And the one here is agape, um, one that many of you have heard that word before. The New Testament writers took a normal word, Greek word, they took that word agape and they transformed it. They, they, they took it over and they rewrote the meaning for it, uh, for us. And so all the way through the, the New Testament, as we run across this word agape, for the most part, it doesn't have the normal meaning that it had for the guy in the street. You know, just like we use Christian terms in the church. We talk about justification, sanctification, glorification, and, and those kind of, of words, or glory, or we use grace. You know, and, and, and people, out, you know, what we mean by it might be different from what somebody out in the, the street uses. Well, that's what happened with this word agape. They grabbed this word because they wanted to have some way of describing the love that God has for us that is different from just normal human interaction and love that way. So God's love, they took over the word agape, and they said, we're going to use this word to describe that love. But it's not just the love that, that God has for us, it's the love that God has in us that flows out to others. And so that's why the Apostle Paul puts that word here when he says, let agape, okay, let agape be genuine. Actually, the way that he words it is, your agape or your love must be unhypocritical, right? Well, we really don't have a word unhypocritical, uh, so a synonym, genuine. Let it be genuine. But what love is it that he's talking about? Well, he's talking about the love that flows out of what he just talked about in verses 3 through 8. There's members doing ministry and mission amongst the body of Christ, caring for one another. And so how do you do that? How do you live that way? How does that happen? Well, it can only happen, he says, if when you're doing that ministry, your love is unhypocritical. All right? Your love is a genuine love. When we grasp how God has so loved us that when we were sinners, Christ died for us, then out of those mercies that we've received, love for others will flow. A hypocrite puts on a mask. They come to church, but they lack the passion of the glory of God and the love that flows out of the gospel during the rest of the week, or even in their interaction necessarily within the church gathering. Genuine love flows out of this overflow of a heart that has felt and experienced the love that God has for us through Jesus Christ. If that love is not real to you, if that love is not welling up within you, bringing forth this, this sense of my unworthiness and yet 
that the Father has, has adopted me into his family, what we've studied and are memorizing in Romans 8. That God has, has done this through Christ by the Holy Spirit. If that love and experience of God's love is not in us, how can it overflow out of us? We must know and experience His love before we can put that love and extend that love out to others. When I think of, of this kind of love that is being talked about here, I think of, of the Gospel of John. Remember in the Gospel of John it says that there is a, uh, that John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Or the King James Version, the, the beloved disciple. And too often, people misunderstand that. They, they think that John is, in a sense, bragging. You know, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I'm, I, I'm like, I'm the, the closest to Jesus type of thing. That's just the opposite. If you read the Gospel of John, you realize that, that John understands you know, how he got put in his place when he and his brothers thought, Jesus, can we sit on the right hand and left hand of you? And Jesus put them in their place, and he says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you should be, you know, on the right and left? God takes care of those things. It doesn't come out of who you are. And so when John is saying that I am the disciple that Jesus loved, what he's saying is, I can't believe that he would love me. Do you know what, do you know what his, his nickname was? Son of Thunder. Not because his father was a thunderous person. Some fathers can be thunderous. Okay, but not because his father was a thunderous person, but because he was a troublemaker. John and his brother were troublemakers, constantly creating problems. And John is saying, how could he have loved me? How could he have called me to be his apostle? It's impossible. Why would he do that? He's not bragging. He is saying, I can't believe that I have been loved by the eternal Son of God and that God has poured his love out on me. And, and that's only when you have that experience, only when you know God's love that has pulled you from that position, only then will you be able to pour that same kind of love out on others. When you know that you're unworthy to be loved by God, but you are loved by him, then that love will overflow. You and I, we are the prodigal son. Jesus awakened us from our pigsty. And he caused us to understand where we were at in our rebellion and our sin against him. And so when we come to the Father, we don't come to the Father and say, hey, man, this is really cool. I want to be a Christian. Make me a Christian so I can have all your blessings. No, we come like the prodigal son. I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. I don't deserve even a relationship. But can I at least serve? Can I at least be a servant in your household? And the result of that kind of action, the father takes you into his arms and he, he wraps, you got the pigsty stink all over you, and the father wraps his arms around you. And he has you washed in the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. 
And He dresses you in the righteousness of Christ. And He places the family ring on your finger so that they will know that that adoption is secure. And with tears, He says, this my son was lost, but now is found. Was dead, but is now alive. And when you know the love of God from that perspective, then and only then, will you be able to live this command, let your agape, let your love, the the Father's love overflowing from within you, let your love be unhypocritical. Let your love be genuine. But also notice how sacrificial loving practices the participles of Christianity. Now what? Yes, the participles, for those of you who love English language and love the study of language, the participles, what are they? Well, participles are forms of verbs that explain the main verb. Okay, So they're there to explain how the main verb works. So the main verb here is be unhypocritical. Right? Let your love be unhypocritical. And, and so the... the rest of verse 9 through verse 13 is a series of 12 participles. They're explanations of that short phrase of what it means to let love be genuine. So let's look at those as they are in the ESV. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, that's a a nice thing, but it looks like a bunch of commands, doesn't it? Okay? Let love be genuine. Abhor evil. Do what's good. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's not the way that it was written. You see, I'm going to redo this. I'm going to do it sort of the way that, that Paul intended for us to see it. All right? So, let love be genuine. All right? Then we go like this. All right? Let love be unhypocritical by. By, the explanation, let it be unhypocritical by shrinking from evil, by clinging to the good, by having a powerful familial love for church members, by eagerly honoring church members, the fifth one, by not being slothful or lazy in your zeal for Christ, number six, by burning spiritually hot, Number seven, by serving the Lord. Number eight, by rejoicing in hope. Number nine, by enduring tribulation. Number ten, by continuing steadfast in prayer. Number eleven, by koinoniaing. What? By providing or caring for the, uh, the needs of uh, others. Right? Uh, it's from the, the Greek word koinonia. Right? It's the sharing in the body of, of Christ. Uh, 
by, so it's by koinoniaing the saints' needs, and number 12, by pursuing hospitality for strangers. Okay, so if you notice, all of those ended with an ing. Uh, that's a participle. A participle ends with ing. And, and that's what Paul is doing all the way through here. So how do you let your love be unhypocritical or be genuine? Well, when these things are true in your life. When, when this is true, then you'll know that you have uh, that. All right? Now, this is not an exhaustive list. He's not giving you an exhaustive list. He's giving a descriptive list. Right? He could have put other things in there, other descriptions. But this is, in other words, he's saying, when, when you just live out Christ, these things are going to be true of you. Right? This isn't a, a serious, okay, I need to do better at abhorring evil. All right? I, I need to show more hospitality. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, when you have God's love so wondrously overflowing within you, it is going to be manifested outward by not being a hypocrite in the church. Okay? It's just the way that you interact with people, it's going to be apparent. The way that you interact with God, you're going to love to spend time with God in prayer. Okay? You're going to love to, to share what you have with others. It's going to, the love of God is just going to flow out of you in your interactions with everyone else. Genuine love will treat the church as family, true family. And if you don't know what a good family looks like, then imagine when you were a child what you wanted your family to look like. Okay? That's what we're talking about here. Start treating one another in the way that you dreamed that a good family would treat you. In other words, live like your family is on Hallmark. Or maybe Disney, depending on which. All right? Jesus put it best when he said, do unto others within the church family, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Don't come to church with a mask on. That's what a hypocrite means. It means to wear a mask. To put on a fake front for the people around you. Don't come, he says, and be in the church with a fake front. People that wear masks try to hide. They're like the green goblin. They don't want anybody to know who their real identity is. Hypocrites won't love others as Christ loves. Hypocrites won't see the church as a loving family. They won't see the church as eternal brothers and sisters in Christ. Hypocrites put their physical family before the church family. Hypocrites break the church into cliques. They hang out with their own besties. Hypocrites isolate themselves from those that are different from them, or those that they don't really want to hang around with. And so Paul is telling us as we enter into this new year, let's make 2021 a year of unhypocritical 
genuine love of Christ. Let it flow out of us because of what we've understood in Romans 1 to 11. Because we have seen and understood the truth of the gospel. We recognize the depth of our wickedness and our sin and our rebellion against God. And we've seen how God sacrificed Jesus Christ in his righteousness and exchanged our wickedness for Christ's righteousness so that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, manifesting the love that God has for us and that he adopted us into his family, and he has given us the Holy Spirit, who is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, who is now alive in us, working in us, transforming us, changing us, giving us new life and new hope and new vision and new understanding. And all of that, all of that, is how our mind is transformed and our interaction with one another is changed. 2021, a year of genuine love of Christ for one another within the body of Christ. A burning, hot zealousness that longs for the coming of Christ that endures tribulation together in hospitable koinonia fellowship, constantly praying for one another. That's what those verses are telling us. And that is not something that you have to put on a checklist. Did I do this this year? Did I abhor evil better than I did last year? Did I cling to good better than I did last year? Did I do hospitality better this year than last year? No, that's not what he wants us to do. He wants us to love. To love God with so much passion that that love overflows to the body of Christ. And this unhypocritical, genuine love cannot be manufactured. Only the genuine faith in the mercies of God, giving to us by faith in Jesus Christ, will that gracious and familial love become a reality to us for the genuine passion of sacrificial loving results in the genuine passion of sacrificial living. Verse 9, let love be genuine in all the ways that that's described through verse 13. Now flow into verse 14, 15, and 16. How will this that we just saw about this unhypocritical love, how will that actually be carried out in the body of Christ? The kind of genuine love described in those verses doesn't grow on trees. It's not natural. That's why Paul earlier qualified that kind of of living in verse 3 of Romans 12. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Genuinely loving the family of God takes a miraculous transformation 
from verse 2. Because it's not normal human behavior for us to consider others, especially others who are different from us, to consider others more highly than we do ourselves. All you have to do is drive on the streets of Brooklyn one day, and you know that it's not natural for people to put others first. Genuinely loving in the family of God. How does that work out? Well, notice that sacrificial loving or living, I'm sorry, produces the promotion of Christ-likeness. It promotes Christ-likeness in us. Verse 14 to 16, Paul is about to give a series of impossible tasks. Remember we talked last time about uh, Mission Impossible? Right? Well, here's another series of impossible tasks that he is giving to us. Commands that are utterly impossible without Christ living in you and loving out of you. So let's take a look at those verses. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Now, Paul is talking here about church relationships. He's not talking about out in the world. That's what's going to come in verses 17 and following. All right? But this is a church relationship that he's talking about here. So when he says persecute, he is not talking about uh, somebody that wants to throw you in prison uh, or wants to have you killed because you're a Christian. <clears throat> in this particular verse, what he's talking about is not persecute, harass. You ever have anybody in the church that irritates you? Yeah, you just have this way of just getting under your skin. You know, other people who are Christians that you're interacting with, and they just somehow, uh, you know, when you're around them for very long, all of a sudden your blood starts going, and you are ready, and get me out of here before I blow up. Right? And you look at them and you say, God has given that person to me to test my Christianity. That's what they're there for. They want to test my Christianity. That's it, okay? All right? You generally try to love everyone, but there is that person, or maybe it's a clique of people, all right? And uh, those individuals just somehow make your life miserable at times. They get under your skin. You want to avoid them at all costs. You know, you see them coming to the church, and, and you come in with a smile on your face, and you're like, okay? And you go to the other side of the room to sit. Right. <clears throat> so, Paul comes along. Paul says you have to love them unhypocritically. You have to love them genuinely. And when he says that, this bubble pops into your mind, and you see that person's face, or those couple people maybe. So how do you handle that person? Well, he says, you bless them, you don't curse them. Right? You bless them. Now, bless does not mean that you pray financial wealth and health. Okay? Uh, it means that you reveal the reality of Christ to them in your interactions with them. So that they experience what true family love is all about. 
you bless them, you don't curse them, by living out Christ so that they see this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to know the love of God so securely that nothing you can say or do is going to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The end of chapter 8 that we're memorizing. Bless them. Don't curse them. They're miserable and selfish because they don't know what genuine love is. Not cursing them means that you do not wish on them spiritual or physical harm either. You have the love of Christ on the cross as the Father could have struck all of those people dead and Jesus instead, instead says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that works out when they experience good things. And you're sitting there and you're going, wait a minute, how come they got that? How come they got that blessing? And they're nasty people. No. When they have a blessing, your response is to rejoice with them as they're rejoicing. See, the love of, of Christ does not rejoice in evil, but it rejoices in good. And so you rejoice with them, and, and, you, and you're, you're, you're excited for them, and you go, wow, isn't our Father great? Isn't our Father wonderful that, that, that he would pour that blessing out on you? Hallelujah. I am so excited for you. I'm so glad that God worked that out for you. That's the body of Christ. That's a family. That's how, that's how family should be. There are no black sheep in God's family. There might be some who are false Christians. And at times, they'll be discovered. But as you show even those who are not truly Christian, but they're in the church, if you continue to show them the reality of God's grace in your life and the reality of the Father's love in you, by God's grace, that might be all that's necessary for them to truly come to believe on Jesus Christ. And maybe they'll be saved. And then you'll have them as brothers and sisters for all of eternity. But also notice that sacrificial living prompts a perception of a crucified life. The perception of a crucified life. If you're listening to this, are you thinking, I can't do that? What you're basically then saying is, I'm too good to be crucified with Christ. I'm too good to die to myself. You see, Christ in me can do anything for the glory of God. God has given us his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. 
And that same spirit is at work in you. So when you say, I can't do that, you're basically saying to the Holy Spirit, I don't want you to work in me. I don't need to die on the cross with Jesus. I don't need to, to experience the letting go of myself for God's glory. If you think that you are too good to die to self, then you probably need Christ in your life. You may not be a Christian at all. So you need to come to him and receive that new life that he gives. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, really believe on him, not just say that you believe on him, but really understand the gospel, understand chapters 1 through chapter 11, and let that become real in your mind and your heart. All this may seem impossible to you because you do not know the power of the gospel that changed your heart, that changed your life. You know, many people come to the church because they want a taste of heaven. We, we were joking about uh, recently, and uh, I might give away my political viewpoint on this, but we were joking about the fact that um, all these people are leaving New York and they're leaving California, all right? They're moving out and they're moving to these Republican conservative states, right? Because they don't like the policies. They don't like what's happening to them in New York. They don't like what's happening to them in California, so they're moving out. But what are they doing? They're moving out of there, and they're voting in the same kind of people that were back in New York or, you know, and the office holders in, in California, right? Well, you know, sometimes we come into the church because we think that the church is the place where we're going to experience this kind of of love and this, this hospitality and, and those kind of things, but we come in with the same attitude that we had when we were in the world. We don't come in with a changed heart. We don't come in with a changed spirit. And so we want the fellowship. We want the nice things of the church. But now we got people in the church that don't have Christ in them, and so now the church isn't always so nice. Imagine a world where everyone in that world loved like what we read back in verses 9 to 13. That is a taste of heaven. And that's what the church is supposed to be. For those who are believers, you've experienced that new life. You know what it is to have this love of God that has forgiven you and has changed the way that you think act. Listen to the end of verse 16. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In other words, break out of your cliques. Break out of those circles of people that are like you and that you feel comfortable with and start loving the whole family. Start caring about the body of Christ as a whole. We have somewhere around 20 nationalities as part of Metropolitan Baptist Church. How much do you interact with all those different nationalities? Is it more comfortable to go with this group or with that group? We're one family. Do we love as one family? Do we interact as one family? And younger people, make friends with older members of the church care about them, 
And older members, stop complaining about the younger folks. Get involved in their lives. That's what this is all about. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. Where God's mercies in Christ means merciful loving through sacrificial living. That is true Christianity. And that is the true church. So in conclusion, let me ask you, have the mercies of God so gripped you that you live a sacrificial love and life with joy? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look at this passage and we realize too often that we've got too much left in us of that world that we thought we left behind, but somehow has popped its ugly head back up. Forgive us. Let us, when we gather together in the fellowship of the saints, let us stop seeing people as individuals and see each one in the church as Christ. brought into your family, brothers and sisters who are learning to love like our Father loves, learning to live as our brother lives. And then we'll know what it is to be a church, sacrificial living through sacrificial love, through the mercies of God. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.